Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What is physical mediumship? Is there really a spirit world? What is the UFO connection? Hello and welcome to the 848th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. And those diverse questions came from my co-host, partner in the paranormal adventures that we have, and my dad, Paul, and I am Ben, and today we bring you a new guest on an old subject, or is it an old subject? Welcome. We welcome your calls today. Uh, the number is 401-766-1240 from anywhere, and uh, you can, or you can email Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com, or contact us via uh, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram for those who are a little phone shy. <laughs> and uh, Kathy Martin, we're very glad to have you back in the guest co-host st- seat. Uh, welcome back. Thank you very much, Paul, and it's always a pleasure to be on this show with you and Ben. Okay, good enough. And the guest for our first half hour today is Walter Rucker, known as an expert in all types of mediumship and who practices as a physical medium. Uh, he teaches out-of-body experiences, has written many articles on subjects such as consciousness, spirit co- communication, and extraterrestrial interaction. In fact, he reports experiencing close encounters of the fifth kind. Walter lives in southwest Florida, and uh, coming this it must be hot, huh? And uh, coming this winter is his book, E.T. and Spirit Communications, Views on Physical Reality in the After-Death Transitional States. That's a pregnant title if I ever heard one. Walter? Uh, Rolls right off the tongue, huh? Yeah, it does. (laughs) (laughs) So, Walter Rucker, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Well, thank you, Enos, and hello, Kathleen. Good to see you again, Miss Martin. Thank you. Well, it's great to have you on with us. So, let's start off with with a seemingly simple question, uh, but as always, the shortest questions are always... Uh, have the longest answers. What is physical mediumship? Well, physical mediumship is best described in relation to the three general types of mediumship that most everybody's familiar with. The first is uh, psychic mediumship. You uh, see this term tossed around quite a bit, especially on TV. A person is claiming to be a psychic or a psychic medium. And uh, what they're basically saying is that they are able to collect information from uh, the quantum field, if you might say, uh, uh, information about events, information about people. uh, And that is uh, what we typically see will be on your your TV shows and um, are the ones that get the high ratings. The, uh, The second kind of mediumship is mental mediumship, and this is a direct connection between somebody who has transitioned, who has passed over, who is dead, with a live person, and typically that live person is has some kind of relationship to the dead. And the bridge is the mental medium, the individual who has the talent or the ability to create a link so a dialogue can happen between a, uh, a person who has passed over, is in the spirit world, and uh, some way that they know. This could be very evidential mediumship, by the way, because a a dead person can give information to a person that is alive that only that live person might know, and uh, consequently helps to solidify the identity of the dead, or what we call the discarnate, with the live, which we call the incarnate. So it's a discarnate, incarnate uh, communication. And then we get to physical mediumship, 
which is kind of a, a thing into itself. It started in the mid-1800s. Three little girls heard some knocks on the cabin room floor, found out later that the knocks were coming from a buried body, or I should say the spirit of the buried body of some vendor had come by before they had moved into this little house and the Fox sisters and the Fox sisters found that the spirit wanted to communicate and uh, was knocking and rapping, moving things around. Uh, took off very rapidly physical mediumship from that uh, small encounter with the Fox sisters in upper New York. Uh, it became a uh, almost a global phenomenon within about a decade. An entire religion called spiritualism grew out of it right here in America. Uh, and for quite a long time, physical mediumship walked along with a lot of different physical mediums. And these are individuals that not only possess the ability to bring spirit through in a seance form, a darkened room format, uh, but they're also able to uh, bring phenomena that the spirit is capable of producing in the seance room. So you have partly a, a show, you have an entertainment feature in physical mediumship, and you also have a communication feature in physical mediumship. And typically in physical mediumship, unlike mental mediumship, you are not necessarily dealing with people that are in your family group, passed over friends or brothers or sisters or the like. You're typically dealing with people that have some historical celebrity status to themselves. So we see people like Winston Churchill, Spirit coming through, and many like those. You're dealing with uh, individuals that have uh, no relationship necessarily to anybody sitting in the seance room. Uh, and that's typically a room full of uh, 15 to up to 40 people sitting in a darkened area with the physical medium in what we call a cabinet which is nothing more than a, a curtained-off area, a corner of a room, or a uh, circular hoop that a black cloth has been draped from. And he is also uh, uh, tied to and gagged inside the physical mediumship cabinet so that uh, the physical medium can't either hurt himself moving around the room or uh, can be known that is in one place while this phenomena is happening outside of the cabinet and around the interior of the seance room itself. So those are your general uh, dime-in-the-bucket kind of uh, explanations of it. If you've got a more particular question, maybe we could go that route now. Sure, Kathy uh, has okay. a question. I do, and actually I had two, but you answered one of my <laughs> questions just now. So the other one... Uh, as you know, I'm uh, mostly involved with extraterrestrial contact. That's my major interest. And in information that you sent, you spoke of a medium whose name is Kai Muge, uh, who says that he speaks with a 6,000-year-old extraterrestrial from Zeta Reticuli. Well, the star map that my aunt Betty Hill drew when she was on the uh, from that she saw on the craft uh, was identified later as Zeta Reticuli. So I would like to know what kind of communication Kai Muge has received and also have you communicated with extraterrestrials and what did they tell you 
if you have. Well, Kai uh, is one of four practicing physical mediums, Kathleen, and uh, they these four travel internationally, uh, come to the United States, Europe, Australia, the like, and demonstrate their abilities uh, of physical mediumship. Kai is one of the few, though, that has an extraterrestrial connection, and not only does he have communication outside of the seance room uh, with beings that are claiming to be extraterrestrial, but he also has them materialize in the seance room, ectoplasmic-covered beings who announce their presence, who float about the room, can be seen, can be touched if allowed, and can be uh, engaged in a dialogue. Uh, these beings have claimed to be from Zeta Reticuli. In particular, he has one being that I was uh, fortunate enough to uh, be in attendance of a seance to have uh, materialized, and his name was Taw, that's P-T-A-H. And Taw floats above the floor about 6 to 12 inches. He's uh, looks like he's in a big white sheet. Uh, you can almost only see his face, and he has a very human-looking form, by the way. He does not look uh, Zeta Reticuli. He doesn't have the typical oversized eyes and the elongated head and all those things. But he will talk about his uh, beingness as an extraterrestrial, and he has identified himself as to coming from Zeta Reticuli. So uh, that's my, my personal thing. Now, you have a second part to this, this question, which was the, is it basically the connection between UFOs and, and extraterrestrials, uh, uh, both through physical mediumship and others? Yes, about your that? experience. Yes, your personal experience with this. Well, my personal experience is, is that the and I think Greg Cameron does a really good job of this. By the way, he he basically says everything is is just one thing. It's all consciousness. And the connection between all types of spirit, extraterrestrial beings, uh, ultra-terrestrial, interdimensional beings, whatever the beings are, the tie between all of that is is that we all share the same consciousness and we're all able to, with our abilities, limited as they are here on the earth plane, but we're all able to use our consciousness to project and receive information from various sources and beings. The problem that you run into in physical mediumship it's the same problem that you run into with extraterrestrial beings. And that is the positive identification that these beings are actually from where they claim to be. And there's almost no way of doing that, really, unless, unless you're fortunate or not so fortunate to be abducted and put on a ship and taken to a home planet and show where they live. Uh, you really don't have a great deal of way of verifying who they are in terms of where they come from and what kind of beings they are other than what they tell you. So there's a bit of trust involved in this. But I think the more important part, Kathleen, is that it's really always about the message and how that message gets to you, what the source of that message is, isn't nearly as important as what's being said. And so you listen to what these beings have to say, whether they claim to be extraterrestrial or not. And if they, if they say things to you that resonate with you, that are important to you, that are valuable, that you can use to uh, do something positive in your life with, well, we're willing to gloss over a bit about the uh, ultimate 
identification of the beans, if the messages the beans are bringing through are positive and helpful and beneficial. Okay. okay thank you. Uh, ben, had a question? Oh, yes, 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 yes. Took me a little bit to formulate it. Um, it's kind of a paradox, right? So physical mediumship, uh, it's kind of a kind of a funny term. Um, so my, my, my question is this. If, if spirits are not physical, let's say it's all consciousness, right? Consciousness in and of itself is just not a physical thing. It's sort of this nebulous, um, undefinable source, if you will. How do they do physical things? Well, they, they have several different ways. The primary way they create physical phenomena, let's say, for instance, you're in a darkened seance room and all of a sudden a, a cone or a set of bells flies up from the floor and rings in tune to the music that's on the boom box or moves around in the room flying and about and touching people and stopping in front of their faces and just they're more or less showing that they, there is an ability to move objects. can be done one of several ways. The primary way of doing that is that they use what's called an ectoplasmic pseudopod. And this is a ectoplasmic rod. Think of a oh, think of like an elongated hand and and wrist and shoulder that can reach out, physically grab something, and then move it about the room in darkened conditions. Move it about the room so that you can see the movement of the object. You will not see the the ectoplasmic rod itself because of the dark conditions grasping or holding on to or in any way being involved in that object. But this is one way they do this. They can move very heavy objects, such as entire uh, chairs. Uh, they can move very light objects. They can move them at, at extremely quick uh, interactions. I've had a, a cone fly from a table to the ceiling so quickly that you literally could not see it either in lighted conditions or unlighted conditions. So this is one way. Ectoplasmic pseudopodal extensions is what we call it in the physical mediumship world. The other way is is basically what we call telekinesis. It is the ability to move things with your mind. And which of these two modes are used to create the movement phenomena in a, a, a seance circle even the mediums themselves will tell you that they're uncertain since they are entranced while they are in the uh, seance. The physical medium is entranced. And so he is aware of everything that he's doing, just maybe uh, uh, grossly aware of what's going on about him. But afterwards, when you ask him, how did this table move, or how did this object move, or how did this happen? they will tell you their best guess as to what the device was using, ectoplasmic devices, telekinetic uh, uh, devices. But often they'll have no answer as to how a particular uh, style of phenomena exists. Oh, okay. Um, let me ask, uh, I, I tend, you know, I have a simple approach, and perhaps being an editor, uh, I uh, am really into the meaning of words. Does the guy from Zeta Reticuli call it Zeta Reticuli? Yes, which, which yes, is, yes, yes, most well, definitely. Don't they have their own, I mean, wouldn't that be a name that humans put on? Right, that, yeah, that why, would, why would they know English? <laughs> Well, they know English because they they exist around us at all times. Uh, 
they are tapped into the physical reality consciousness. Uh, they know quite a bit about us. They know more about us than we know about ourselves, actually. But aren't they spiritual? So Why would they be in a physical reality? Because they're looking to they're looking to put forward the concept of the uh, ex, uh, the extension of consciousness after death. In other words, they want to to bring f- to the to the discussion evidence of the fact that there is a spiritual world, that there is a transitional world. That and there what's is the a point of there being a physical world. world in the first place? Well, we created that. That's a very good question because we create this physical world through consciousness as a projection of of uh, of our own. And it's an experience that all of us, including all of us in this conference today and all of us here on the earth plane, have made agreements when we came into the physical reality to uh, to uh, play by the rules of physical reality, to have this particular unique experience. And apparently the earth plane itself is a very unique place, certainly in our universe, because the numbers of, of people spirits that when you talk with the spirit world that want to incarnate and have not been able to or have incarnated and have come back repetitively some call that reincarnation to get new and and greater experiences Uh, this is apparently something that is very highly sought after and i think is one of the reasons we watch our population grow from two billion people to seven billion people (laughs) in like 50 years because you got to have a physical container to play in physical reality, and so you got to have a body. And bodies are, uh, even at 7 billion, are in short supply for the number of spirits that would like to incarnate and have this extremely unique and special experience here. Okay. Yeah, I don't know uh, if I buy that, though. No, I, 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 I mean, we respect all opinions, and maybe we're wrong. I mean, I mean Walter could be, be right down the middle of the football field, correct, you know? But, I mean, uh, we have different interpretations, but it's not about us today. No. Uh, I want to get to a question from... Um, is it Mr. Good, Peter? It is Peter from Bogota, Colombia, who uh, is a, sort of an honorary guest co-host. He writes it every week and a very, very good question. So Peter has a question for Walter. Right. Uh, so first, the first question is, uh, please ask Walter uh, why he has attended so many seances, and was he hoping to contact a specific person? If so, what were the results? And Kathy, jump in here anytime you want to. I'm sorry, Walter. Go ahead. Okay. Oh, that's fine. Sure. Uh, well, first of all, I, I just find it enjoyable. There's a lot of people, like-minded people in, in the seances. You get to make a lot of friends. There's a lot of repetitive um, uh, attendees, so you get to know people by their first names and families and what they do. And there's also a lot of communication after the seance. What did you see and uh, what, what did you hear? And maybe somebody's in a different part of the room, had a little bit of different experience. Uh, so you attend it because... Uh, they're fun to do, and, they, and it's uh, it's a nice human way of interacting with spirit and interacting with other beings, uh, human beings that uh, have your same sets of beliefs. The um, the second part of that question was, oh, it was, um, uh, were you hoping to contact someone specific? Right. If so, what were the results? Every time I go into a, a seance, I'm always hopeful. That with, without great expectation, though, I'm always hopeful that one of my uh, uh, parents, who are both deceased, a sister who has deceased, most of my family is deceased, uh, and I'd like to see hear from them. I've never had a lot of interaction with them in the spirit world, 
but I've always held that expectation in, in very um, low percentage. Uh, it's not why I went to seance. I didn't go to seance and hear from my mother. I went to seance to hear from spirit, hear the advice that they have to give, hear what their world is like on their side of the veil, uh, sometimes even to uh, have interactions with spirit that, that exist outside of the seance room. And I'll give you a quick example. I, I go to a seance over in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and I'm on the other side, about 125 miles away. It's a pretty simple trip. And uh, often I'll meet with the physical medium before the seance and just talk about, oh, anything. Uh, you know, baseball, football, uh, soccer, uh, women, you know, whatever it is that, that, you know, boys just want to talk about. And, and so we'll have those conversations, and we'll go back inside start the seance room and have spirit come through and say, by the way, when you were out there in the restroom with Warren, the physical media, uh, and y'all were talking about extraterrestrials, so, well, you know, we're going to have a long conversation about that one of these days. So it's, it's kind of fun to understand that they're listening in all the time. They're listening in now. They're listening in before the seance. You can carry conversations that happen inside the seance room about outside the seance room, and I've actually sat at my car uh, in the middle of the night, one o'clock in the morning after a seance is over, and had conversations with uh, uh, discarnate beings. Uh, Winston Churchill seems to have a fascination with me. I have no idea why that is, uh, other than he wanted me to write a book for him. If you got a second, I'll tell you a quick story. It's kind of funny. Yeah, just a second, yeah. All right, well, we're sitting, sitting in the physical mediumship in sounds, and Churchill's voice crosses the room, comes over, and he says, I'd like for you to help me write a book. And I said, what kind of book do you want to write? Wednesday, he says, well, Prime Minister's View from This Side of the Veil, or something like that. I said, okay. And I thought, well, wait a minute. I said, well, how long is this book going to be? He says, 671 pages. I said, 671 pages? That's 50 to, two, to 100 hours of seance work. He says, well, I got the time, don't you? And I thought, well, no, I don't. (laughs) Maybe you do, because I don't have, you know, the money or the time to spend 100 hours, you know, putting your book together. So it never, Winston never got his book, but he bugs me about that from time to time. I get dreams every once in a while. He goes, Mr. Witch, you write my book. It's not going to happen, Winston. Find somebody else. Well, I just I just don't understand why you know everybody I talk to who who does what you do, Walter, uh, is is talking to Winston Churchill and Jesus Christ and Julius Caesar, and uh, why not uh, Sven the reindeer herder from Lapland? I mean, somehow, I mean there are people who turn up in that that regard, but I don't know. I just I, I back when I was working with Ed Lorraine Warren back in the seventies, I just. Um, if you took remember that scene from Mary Poppins where she takes the tape measure and measures the kid. And she says, aha, extremely stubborn and suspicious. That's me. All right. I just, I've never seen these things turn out to what they appear to be. I mean, when I've communicated with anything, it has not been really voluntary. Well, it has been, but, uh, you know, it's just, they, they are, um, they don't speak English or, or, or they're some kind of a creature. I don't know. Some, they're not verbal at all or they're afraid of me thinking I'm a ghost. Uh, so my experience is, is utterly different from what, what yours is. And I don't question the phenomena. I question the interpretation. Now again, maybe, maybe we're wrong. I, I've seen the phenomena. So, so you're right. But uh, anyway, be that as it may, uh, Kathy, uh, any uh, final thoughts here before we go to our second half hour? 
Well, I uh, find this to be very, very interesting. Mm. And, uh, Walter, thank you for sharing your information. And I do hope that uh, I'll have the opportunity to read your book because I have so many questions now regarding what these extraterrestrials have actually said through mediums and what has been spoken at seances. Well, that sounds great. And Walter, uh, in the last second or two here, give us uh, where pe- people can find out more about you, uh, your book that's coming out, and your Facebook page. Well, Facebook page is uh, just my name, Walter Walker. You can search it and come up there. The best way to contact me is via email. Send me an email to walter at walterrucker.com, R-U-C-K-E-R. And I don't have a, a WordPress or a website. I do write articles, uh, thought pieces, and anybody that contacts me, I'll be happy to put them in uh, into my storage where they can look at the things I've written, which include spirit, extraterrestrial communication ideas on things Kathy is, is asking about, and many other things, just whatever happens to interest me. And thank okay. you guys very much, by the way, for this. Well, th- thank you for being with us. It was fascinating, and uh, we are going to be in touch off the air. But thank you for being with us, and uh, we're going to go to our break, uh, bottom of the hour break, uh, and uh, we will be right back um, behind the paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON twelve forty AM and ninety nine five FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. Stick with us. The night is alive. Join us and take a walk on the weird side when you tune in to the Kingdom of Nye, hosted by Heather Wade. Thank the you. finest in late night talk. Listen live free weeknights starting at 9 p.m. Pacific time at thekingdomofnigh.com, talkstreamlive.com, and the Paranormal Radio app. Wanna take a ride? Hey, this is Dave Koz, and this weekend on the Dave Koz Radio Show, we welcome back bassist okay. Julian Vaughn to the program. He's got some hot new music to share, and I know you'll want to be here for that. Check out DaveGaz.com during the week and be here this weekend for Julian Vaughn and more wonderful music for your weekend on the Dave Cause Radio Show. Hello, fans of smooth jazz. The Dave Cause Radio Show can only be heard on ON, AM, and FM, 1240 AM, 99.5 FM, every Sunday, twice on Sundays, 6 AM to 8 AM, and again, 7 PM to 9 PM. The Dave Cause Radio Show is brought to you by the Carew Investment Group. It's the Hello. Dave Cos Radio Show, and it's right here on ONAMFM.
Okay, and welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno with our special guest co-host Kathleen Marden today. And you're listening to WOON 1240 AM and 99.5 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. And <clears throat> we're going to the second half hour now of the show, and we're going to be dealing with something uh, completely different, which is a UFO case of a new variety in Northern California. And uh, Kath- Kathleen is with us, of course, and also <clears throat> our show reporter for Northern California. The show has reporters all over the world, actually. Uh, Rick, and I guess it is time to finally reveal his true identity. Uh, he is Richard T. Eno, strange uh, name, uh, but uh, he is a dear cousin of ours, uh, and this stuff sort of runs in the family when it comes to the paranormal. So. I also just learned we have the same middle initial. <clears throat> there you go. Okay. <laughs> Well, well, there you go. Why are you giving me a blank look? <laughs> well, I, I don't know how to deal with that, actually. That's that's fair. Okay. All right. And uh, <laughs> so we have uh, on the line also a, an eyewitness to this case, and we will um, get to him in a moment. But, Rick, first, if you would um, give us the background uh, to this case. Okay. Well, um, I'm going to start everything backwards because I, I, I got the case, and it was uh, sort of a last event in a chain of events as I researched it and discovered it. Um, so I'm going to start at 4 a.m. on August 13th in Butte County, which is Chico in California. Uh, a little bit of background about the area. BL Air Force Base is there. There's been saucer sightings there and others through the years. It's it's kind of a peculiar area. Um, but this one starts at twilight. Now, I want to just caveat this by saying that this report that I discovered came from New Fork, which is a national UFO Research center and it is a great site, but it doesn't. Ha- you don't get an investigator. It's a self-report. So when it goes to MUFON, you get an investigator and they vet the witness and so forth. But New Fork doesn't. So I'm going to start there and follow it through um, the two other sightings. So there was this individual. Uh, his report was that he had witnessed a large UFO class sighting, a large structure, and that there was some form of a drone fall, uh, flying around it. And his interpretation, which I'm always careful of, was it was doing repairs. But what made this succinct to me and, and kind of catch on as we get later on in the case is that it had a definable, dark, very dark area. But as the sun was more light came into the area, it started disappearing. It started becoming not visible, but still there. Um, so to go forward, there's this large craft. Um, and it seems to have this hangar-like structure in the center. And this light comes out, the satellites actually, and they seem to be traveling alongside this structure, and he interpreted it as doing repairs. It would stop for a few minutes, then accelerate really fast. He's saying hundreds of miles an hour traveling down the side and um, essentially uh, beaming light and then moving back and forth. And this went on um, for a little while, and then... Every so often, the, the repair crafts, as he called them, the other orbs, or apparent repair points, would change direction abruptly, immediately, and go to a different part. He described the craft as blocking about one-fourth to one-third of the sky. Now, the problem with this is, yeah, the, the, the real issue with this is I have no reference point for what, what that is. And um, I would love, and I've been trying to find this witness, he supposedly has sketched it, um, but... You will see in the case because it's coming forward, the commonality is the drone-like behavior, the lights that surround the drone or the, the craft, um, and um, and it's sort of the independently moving. 
So let's move from 4 a.m. So now it's light out. So uh, I'm going to assume that uh, there may be other case reports of it, but based on his um, report that it kind of disappears as it got lighter, that maybe didn't get seen until 9 p.m. over Siskiyou, which is Mount Shasta area in California. Um, that is uh, way north California. There's some military bases around there. There's the Army Air Force Exchange Base over in Oregon. And um, basically what happened was the gentleman was in his backyard. And to give and this is a, an actual report where uh, we can verify the witness. He was a pilot, a pilot trained, excuse me. And um, he's uh, kind of aware. Uh, he, has, he has reported himself that he can remote view. And, and so what happened was he was in his backyard, and he'd been watching stars for over two weeks. One was brighter. And then on this particular night, a friend was present. Um, the, the stars began to move in circles, and then another one appeared that was lighter that moved in circles. Now, the distance here is pretty far. It's over a mile, but it's below cloud cover, apparently. That's what I took out of it because there's some gaps in it. Okay, well, uh, can I interrupt you for a minute, Rick? Uh, ben is is going to show the um, Talking Points page from our website uh, with a, uh, a sketch by the witness on so people who are listening on a device where they can see the TV feed okay. can, can see that. I'm sorry, go ahead. Okay, and that first sketch is from what Andrew's going to talk about his case, So, uh, which is coming up next. So right. um, they began to perform circles, and they continued to move. This This sighting went on for over two minutes. Um, and the other, one circle was brighter than the other. But as things started to continue, um, the objects appeared to come out of, several objects came out of the main objects and started circling it. And the report was that it was different kind of reddish off whitish. Um, so we have some color detail there to, to kind of discuss. Okay. Uh, yeah. In addition to that, what they did was they used a laser pointer, and when they did, it blinked out and was gone. So they tried to hit it with a laser pointer, and it blinked out. They did try to photograph it, however, the cameras failed. Um, this case was ruled a, UA, a UAV, so it, okay. it was substantiated as unidentified. All right. So now that's 9 o'clock. Now, so what, what this did was, this. I want to backtrack, it moved from Butte County, which is sort of uh, south of the case I just talked about, it went to Siskiyou up to north to California, and now it's coming back now. And just along the way as you're coming back down to Marin, there's Travis Air Force Base, there's a number of military installations, just to keep this in mind. Now, uh, I'm going to set up Andrew to discuss his case so you can hear it firsthand from him. But okay. the report I got was is that there was a witness who lived in San Anselmo and was out looking at the, the stars and the bats and, and uh, the trees one night when he had seen a light in the sky. Now, I'm going to cut out here and let Andrew discuss what he witnessed. Okay, well, actually, first, uh, <clears throat> with apologies to Andrew, who's been holding forever, uh, I wanted to give Kathy a chance to comment. Kathy is, if anybody lives under a rock and doesn't know this, Kathy is one of the most uh, renowned UFO researchers in the world. So, Kathy, oh. what's, uh, what's your initial uh, comment here? 
Well, I am the Mutual UFO Network's Director of Experience or Research, and I've been a, a UFO investigator for MUFON dating back to 1991. Uh, and what I just wanted to say is that with any report, it is the responsibility of the investigators involved to attempt to find a prosaic explanation for this. Is it something having to do with uh, military craft experiments. Is it a satellite? Uh, what might it be? They know that the object's course was close to the Navstar satellite, so they have to take this into account. But any MUFON investigator also has to consider all of the unusual properties of that report. And in this particular case, there are many. Not only is it a multiple witness report, but the fact that this is a, a large object uh, that appears to maybe have been open at one point and that smaller objects have come out of it is highly significant. So I can't wait to hear what Andrew has to say about this. Well, with that, we'll welcome Andrew. Uh, you're on ON 1240 and Behind the Paranormal. Welcome to the show and thank you for holding. Oh, thank you. It's uh, good to be here. Oh, yeah. No, he's there. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Everything turned down. Okay. Hi. Yeah, go Sorry. ahead, Andrew. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so uh, we understand that you're a pilot as well as yes, a... Yes, Okay. Uh, th I, that, I have just a little bit of experience with that myself, and that cuts some ice w with us because uh, pilots are really trained observers, to say the least. So uh, what, what in your... Um, Estimation uh, is is happening here, and then I'm actually I'm going to turn you right over to Kathy, uh, and uh, see if she has any questions after your initial statement. Sure. So, um, well, this all happened on uh, August thirteenth, twenty nineteen, and it was about ten uh, twenty in the evening, um, and I was taking the trash out, and the sky was uh, just starting to darken. There was still a little bit of light left, so I was standing there watching um, bats catch insects. Uh, through the canopy and um, it was then that I sort of noticed a small round disc shaped light uh, about 30 to 50 feet above the trees um, and, and so where we live we live about 350 feet up a, a hill in San Anselmo California and it's really unlit um, heavily forested uh, with redwoods etc and there's Fast population, so there's not very many people around, and it's all part of the Mount Tamalpais watershed. So there's very little light pollution, which is great. Um, so I was putting out the trash, watching the uh, the bats catch insects. Saw this disc shape um, moving very slowly, and it wasn't really very bright. But then all of a sudden, it did this uh, pulse, which was happened very quickly, blink of an eye but it was sort of a structured pulse, like very similar to sort of a sonar or a sounding um, that a ship would do. And it continued to move at about 5 to 10 miles an hour, 30 to 50 feet above the trees. And um, then about 10 seconds later, it did it again. And so, yeah, I have my commercial pilot's license. I have my remote pilot's license, so I fly drones. And I immediately realized that, hey, this isn't normal. B, it's not a drone. That or a commercial type drone that I'm familiar with. Okay. Uh, there were no navigation lights on it. There was no sound, and drones make quite a lot of noise when they're flying. All right. Um, so uh, I watched this happen for a 
couple of minutes, then or I think the total time was about two minutes. After about 20 seconds, I pulled my camera out, uh, my cell phone out, and started uh, filming it on the video. And after I captured about a minute and 20 of video, and then when I went to review the footage just on the phone, I saw this blinking light, not very much to it. Um, so I sort of um, put it in my back pocket and, and forgot about it until another recent sighting that I had, and I submitted two reports. Um, but uh, And then all of a sudden, there's this great interest in it. So. Okay. All right, uh, I'll point out that uh, our website, BehindTheParanormal.com, our show site, uh, is in the process of being migrated to a new hosting platform, and they're having a lot of trouble, a surprise, surprise. And uh, there is, however, it is accessible as far as we can see, and there is a Talking Points link for this particular show. Um, it will be in the uh, show archives for this show, and there's a link, and it has a, a very good sketch. You're, you're a pretty good artist there, too, Andrew, i got to say. Yeah. And, really, uh, it is really well done, i got to say. And <laughs> the, the video is, is also available as well. Um, we're not going to play it now because of time, but people can go to the website and see that. Kathy, what say you? Well, I have a couple of questions. First, I would like to know if you were able to estimate the how far that object was from you, uh, and you know, if if not, uh, using the rule of thumb, if you were to hold your thumb out at arm's length, how large would this have seemed uh, compared to the size of your thumbnail? That, that's a good question. So actually, I think if held at arm's length, it would have been about the size of an aspirin. So about the size of my thumbnail. That's a good, okay. that's a good gauge. And the uh, aspirin and I, is the size of the full moon for listeners. Ah, okay. <laughs> Maybe a little smaller <laughs> okay. than that. So, um, but I think, you know, the thing was that um, <clears throat> I guesstimated there was about 30 to 50 feet above the trees and probably about 200 feet away. Two to three hundred, maybe four hundred feet away, and it seemed to be following the path of a creek that we have that runs um, behind some of the properties there. But it was, you know, middle of August. It was a dry creek, <clears throat> and um, it wasn't until I reviewed the footage afterwards that you actually saw these little things coming up from the ground, like moth to a flame, really, and, and going up towards the, the pulsing light and flying around it. But that's when it really got interesting. So. Oh, I would say so. What colors did you see? So uh, the only light, I, the only colors I saw was just the it was sort of a just a, the white brilliant white pulse, but very quick, like a blink of an eye, and then just the very dull um, illumination of the, the disc or the light um, that was doing that. Okay. So there was no other lights or colors that I saw. Um, and I did. I, I must admit, I didn't actually see um, the little uh, smaller craft going up to the larger one uh, vis- with my own visual eyes. It was only when I reviewed the video that I saw those. Okay, thank All right. you. All right, uh, Rick, uh, do you want to get in here with a comment or question? Well, yeah. I, I think what's interesting about this um, in, in Andrew's sighting is that when you think about the course of the day and where things have gone. And, you know, I can't establish a definitive connection between these, but I can say they have some similarities going on here. So uh, the the Sisicu case was um, obviously at a distance while the Butte case was closer because you got more detail. And then when you get to Andrew's case, 
what I found helpful, first of all, he's very descriptive of it. Um, his when I was interviewing him, uh, the facts never changed, stayed straight. Uh, yeah. So this is not the first um, uh, phenomenon in Marin County. There's a lot that has gone on in Marin County. There's a corridor, and I think that when I when I look at a case and I look at um, Andrew's case in particular, you know, and I'm trying to judge what the facts are. I searched this every which way I could. Um, I went to the um, you know, Kathleen Martin School of Research on this one. I went <laughs> hardcore. I found rocket bodies in the air. I found astral bodies in the air, but they were so far away. There was nothing in the immediate area, um, even airplanes. So the question is, for me, was, okay, this is following a creek for some unbeknownst reason. There are lights that appear to be going up to it. Um, I have two other case reports, uh, one from a fellow investigator, one from Norfolk, and obviously I've got to do more research, uh, but my overall feeling, aside from this case, is, okay, you know, there's something more to this than just he saw a light in the sky. There's something that was going on that day, and I don't know what it is yet. I'll do my best to get up, get uh, that Norfolk case, but Norfolk case, but um, something's going on in that part of California. Okay, very interesting. All right, uh, I have a question for Andrew. Andrew, you mentioned uh, another sighting, and I might expand that question to include uh, any other quote-unquote paranormal things that have happened to you in your life. Is this common for you? Or is, is it not? Uh, what say you? Uh, that's a good question. So um, my mother was a clairvoyant, and it runs through our family um, on, the, on the ladies' side. And um, I don't know whether there's any connection there, but um, about 10 years ago I did, I did a couple of sightings in San Francisco when I was living there. Um, and, but I had a daylight sighting uh, in May 6th uh, this year, a day after my wife's birthday, two, two, um, two dish-shaped crafts, bright red, one following the other at about 8.40 in the evening, flew over our heads in Mill Valley uh, in California. Um, at about, it was doing about two, three hundred knots, and they were bright red, as I said, scarlet lipstick red, and they had some form of active camouflage. They were very fuzzy, but very difficult to discern the shape, which was kind of an oxymoron. They had this sort of shape dis- uh, deforming uh, camouflage on it, but they were bright red. <laughs> these, these two things flew over. Um, and I managed to also catch a picture of them. Um, and then we've had a few other... I, I, I started to put a trail cam on my roof, and uh, I reviewed the footage yesterday, and I've uh, captured a few more uh, things that um, I think warrant further in- investigation. So all right, now, very uh, interesting here. Yeah, I might ask all three of you, um, what do you feel is the chance that this is some sort of military craft or some given the presence of the military bases that rick pointed out um uh, why don't we start with kathy well what i have to say about that paul is that uh there are many reports around military bases ufos seem to be interested in what's going on at military bases uh but Also, we cannot discount the idea that this is some kind of an experiment being done by our military 
covertly. But at the same time, we have to take into account the behavior of the object itself, and we have to think about those smaller objects that were around the larger one that moved occasionally, uh, as one of the, the people reported, where it would stop as if it were making some kind of repair and then would move down the craft and stop again. Uh, that The only thing I thought of is a refueling mission, but those are done out over the ocean and does not seem to fit uh, that description. Mm-hmm. So this is very interesting. I don't have an explanation for it. Okay. Rick? Um I don't have an explanation either. I, I'm going to keep working on it. Um, but what I found interesting, and I'm so glad Kathleen's here and you're here, Paul, because um, though this is unaffiliated to the, the objects we've just seen, Andrew had an experience where he uh, recently um, was with his wife, and I'll let him talk about it, where he felt the presence of something. And, Andrew, if you want to elaborate on that quickly, because you've got the two best in the world here. Take it Sure. Sure. So, so yeah, there's been, um, I feel I'm going down the rabbit hole here, but it's, um, so it happened this week, uh, Tuesday of this week, uh, my wife uh, got some chairs for the garden, I put them together for her, put them on the patio, took a step back into the garden and, and looked over the house and beautiful clear sky, nothing there. As I brought my gaze down to um, sort of roof level, eye level, um, there was something uh Moving in the left of my peripheral vision, it was uh, vertically upright, about 8 to 12 inches long, and it floated from my left into the center of my vision at the roof line of my house. <clears throat> and I was rather fabulous. Initially, I thought it was blowing trash, but there was very little light wind. The wind was coming from behind me. There's a little swaying in the tops of the trees. And then I turned to my wife, and I'm like, I, I thought it was blowing trash. Immediately, I knew it was something else. Um, <clears throat> I felt... So we have a lot of animals and deer around where we live, mountain lions and bobcats. It was that sort of feeling. It was a feeling that, that there was a life-form animal present there. And I turned to look up to my wife to point it out, looked back, and it had completely vanished. Um, then, as I looked up, I caught a glint in the top right-hand corner of my peripheral vision and looked up and noticed a round spherical object, dull gray, uh, ball-bearing size, uh, <clears throat> about probably two to 300 feet above our house. And then at that point, I said to my wife, look, 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 quick, can you see this? And I pointed out the sphere to her. She saw it. And at what point? at that point, it started to move. And as it moved, it was like a kid on a bicycle, you know, meandering along a little bit until it got some speed to go straight. And after about two or three seconds, it got that speed and started to shoot off to the north, north, northeast, I think, uh, from yeah. where I was. I'm afraid we're about out of time. <laughs> we'll have to continue this on another show, Andrew. Thank you so much for calling in. Stay in touch with Rick. Rick, keep up the great work as a reporter. You're indispensable, and maybe someday we'll be able to pay you. And uh, thank you so much for everything. Okay. Dream, isn't it? <laughs> so, yeah. So we'll have to uh, move to our announcements right now. Um, 
Okay, sadly, uh, we've received word that the 2020 Exeter UFO Festival has been canceled, but this is a great event uh, sponsored by the Exeter Area Kiwanis Club to raise funds for local children's charities. Uh, it will be back uh, stronger than ever, I'm sure, in 2021, and so will Kathy Barden, who was always there with us. And uh, we'll be back ourselves with our live panel broadcast from that historic town hall in 2021. At the same time, uh, Kathy, we understand MUFON is uh, going to forge ahead with the International UFO Symposium in Vegas later in September? Yes, we're proceeding cautiously. Uh, it's to be held September 25th through 27th at the JW Marriott in Las Vegas. And this year's theme is UAPs, Military and Government Witnesses Speak Out with Linda Moulton Howe, George Knapp, James Fox, Clifford Stone, Robert Salas, Charles Halt, Kevin Day, who was from the Nimitz Strike Group. So some very interesting speakers. I will host workshops for experiencers. Uh, people can go on to the site at MUFON.com to register and register for my workshops as well. Uh, there are going to be masks handed out to everyone. And if we end up having to cancel the conference, you'll receive a full refund. Well, sounds great. And so assuming that things are at least semi-back to normal by October, we plan to be back at the Greater New England UFO Conference in Lemonster, Massachusetts, on Columbus Day weekend. Um, yes. Yeah, it took me a second. I, 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 my, my brain got September and October confused. Uh, please don't. Don't, don't listen to me. Uh, my dad is scheduled to be the keynote speaker to mark his 50th work anniversary in paranormal research. So, Kathy, what is happening with you this season? Well, it was, besides, uh, besides, besides the, the besides Las Vegas, yes. <laughs> oh, I'm just continuing to work on my book, and there might be a television series uh, being done based on that. I don't have uh, a lot of information yet, but hopefully it will be coming down uh, to me. By the end of the year, at least. Lovely. Excellent. We'll keep an eye out for that, for sure. Okay, well, check out our books. Uh, you're gonna, you can see Kathy's, too, on the uh, bookstore page at BehindTheParanormal.com, which, as I say, is kind of in flux this week, uh, but it, it should be functioning, and you can uh, there are our books and Kathy's books as well, links to the Amazon uh, links for, for those are, are there. Also, bear in mind uh, a number of charities that we ourselves have adopted on the show, USA Cares, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, Helping Haiti's Orphans, Youth Mentoring Connection in Los Angeles, Crohn's and Colitis Foundation, and the Sisterhood of Ground Zero. Uh, we know these people who run these charities. We've vetted them very carefully, and I think it's, a, it's a, they're really a great uh, charities to, to support. Ben, what's going on next week? So next week, uh, June 21st, we'll bring you Alexander Petikoff and Nash Hoover, the producer and host, respectively, of Chasing Legends, a TV series that hunts Bigfoot and other weird creatures all over the world to share some of their adventures. And Kathy Allen is going to offer a quote this week. Yes, we leave you this afternoon with a thought from Mother Teresa. If we have no peace, it is because we have forgotten that we belong to each other. That man, that woman, that child is my brother or my sister. If everyone could see the image of God in his neighbor, do you think we would still need tanks and generals? The image of God is in everyone. Beautiful. I'm That's, Kathleen Martin. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. And we will see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now. 
for another edition of Behind